Warning, the Dub Talk podcast may contain language and content that could not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Also, there is the possibility that we may spoil any anime series at any given time. So please use caution in case you are listening if there is a series that you haven't finished yet. And finally, the opinions expressed belong to those of the individual participants, and they do not reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. one and all and welcome to dub talk the podcast where on any normal day we sit down and discuss the latest and greatest in english dubs i'm stephanie and today's episode is once again a little bit different if you didn't listen to our previous interviews back in november a few of us attended anime nyc one of the biggest things we got to do at the con was we were given the opportunity to be part of group interviews with some of the guests this is the third and final of the three that you'll get to listen to today. Join Andrew and Megan as they rep Dub Talk, along with folks from Pop Culture Bento, Toonami Faithful, and the Cartoon Cypher, as we sit down with one heck of a vocal magician. You know him as the voice of Yukiatsu from Anohana, Fyodor from Mungo Stray Dogs, and Bruno Bruciarati from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Golden Wind. That's right, we're talking to the one and only Ray Chase. Special thanks to Anime NYC for allowing us the opportunity to chat with Ray. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. This has been Stephanie, and until next time, otaku on, my friends. Good morning, Mr. Chase. Hi. How are you doing today? Doing all right, yeah. Um, all right. First question's one I enjoy asking a lot of actors and directors, but there's a lot of interesting directions that are given to people when it comes to voice acting. Do you have a particular memorable direction that was ever given to you while recording in the booth? Yes, I have a... There's a director um, for uh, Fallout, Fallout games, named Phil Bach, uh, and he directs in Smurfs. So if he says, uh, I'm going to need half a Smurf more, <laughs> you just do it. And the reason why he does Smurfs is because Smurf means something to everybody, and so he just says, you fill in the blank. It's just kind of a, hey, uh, less, uh, less Smurf on that one, and then the, the actor knows what you mean. It's just they can kind of fill in their own blank, give themselves their own direction uh, sort of thing. I love, I love that. It's, it was really fun. <laughs> A lot of uh, fans describe you as a voice chameleon, that you're able to, you know, jump from voices like Noctis to Piccolo and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I try. How does it feel, like, what does it take to kind of bring that kind of range out of you? Is it something you always practiced even when you were younger? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I did uh, something called forensics back in high school, which was uh, competitive speech and debate. And there was an event in that called Humorous Interpretation, Dramatic Interpretation, where you take a script and you play all the parts yourselves, and you'd have to switch back and forth in between each character and just do it, do an entire play like that. Um, and in order to be successful in that, you had to have a lot of range to differentiate the characters since we'd be playing 20 people at a time. Um, so uh, that's something I've been doing since high school is trying to disguise my voice in a lot of different ways. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad that uh, casting directors allow me to, which is, which is not, not everyone always gets that, uh, uh, the ability to play so many different types of roles. So I want to bust out the JoJo question. Uh, so the voice of Bruno Bucciarati, uh, best mom, if you want. Yes. <laughs> so how did it feel to play one of the main protags of 
a JoJo series? I know you've you've done JoJo characters before, like right. Oversoul. Mm-hmm. But uh, what did you do to get in character for Bruno? Um, it was a uh, it was a trip. Um, <laughs> I was uh, when I did Rubber Soul and Donovan and Loggins and all those other guys. Uh, I hadn't watched the show, and so I was like, I'm gonna sit and I'm gonna actually sit down and watch it. And I did not stop watching it. Loved of course, it. I watched all the way through the end of part five. And then the uh, auditions came out, and I was like, I don't know. I, I think I already play characters. I already play a stand user. I don't know if uh, they'll ever let me uh, audition for this, and I'm really glad that they did. Um, getting the character was interesting because I have a tendency to sound too much like Matt Mercer, who already is Jotaro. Um, so we just wanted to make sure that he didn't sound like like Jotaro. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we kind of went uh, based off of the, uh, the audition that I sent. I sent three auditions because I really wanted it bad. Bouncing off of that, uh, we'll, we'll go in order just okay. just to make it easy on everyone. Okay, um, well, bouncing off of what they said, um, what, how do you feel about when you audition for characters that might have already had a an English presence over in the West, like with Evangelion? Mm-hmm. Um, I understand you auditioned for that. Everyone auditioned for that. Were you given specific direction to emulate a particular performance, or did they more or less let you? your own take on the character. Yeah, they wanted a completely that whatever you brought to it. Um, I know the audition process was kind of weird for that because um, uh, uh, I think I think the previous VAs want to audition for their part two, so we were all just sent completely blind. They uh, they they had all of our auditions in, um, and uh, and and Gynax just chose us based on not knowing anybody's name or anything like that. So it was just a a complete clean slate. They didn't know who we were, they didn't know what we sounded like, and um, they liked me. It was my, my buddy JP, also auditioned for Gendo, and uh, it was between me and him for Gendo and Fuyutsuki. And so I think they went back and forth on, on who they wanted for what, and uh, then they, they ended up with me for Gendo, uh, which is great. Best anime mom to best anime dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I was mostly just going to go off of the JoJo thing. For sure. Uh, I think going through the dub recently, it's been very interesting. I believe the localization for that seems very interesting because there's a lot of Italian thrown into it. Yeah, that's As right. it turns out, there it is indeed a show that takes place in Italy. Yeah, I'm glad they uh, they went there. I think it adds a nice little flavor to it. Have you been having a lot of fun learning a lot of new Italian like terminology and phrases for playing Bruno? Uh, yeah, he doesn't say. Too much, just familiar and stuff. All the bad guys say like "cazzo de detta" and all that that stuff. Um, uh, so I haven't haven't had the chance to say too much yet, but uh, I I do like it. I am Italian, uh, half Italian. Um, family's uh, my mom's maiden name is Chiego, um, so it was cool to to bring that little bit of uh, my heritage into a role like that. If I can ask, switching yeah. from Italian to to Russian, uh, you played Dostoevsky in the yeah. Stray Dogs. A character that, um, especially among all the other characters, has a very thick accent. Mm-hmm. But, uh, what was the process going through that? That, that was experience? that was wild. I, I mean, when we uh, came in, that was based on Max's recommendation. Uh, he was working at a studio, and they were like, uh, Susie, the director, was like, I don't know who I'm going to bring in for this. And Max said, Just bring in Ray. He'll he'll come up with something. Um, so uh, they brought me in, and. His name is Fyodor Dostoevsky. He should have a Russian accent. Um, so we recorded once, but I know anime is pretty testy about accents a lot of the time. Um, so we also recorded one without. And then it came out on Crunchyroll, and they chose the accent one. So when it came time for season three, we got to um, commit to it, which I'm really glad. 
Is there a lot of difference between working, uh, you know, doing dubbing for a video game studio as opposed to an anime studio? Like, how different is that day-to-day -day process like? It's, it's very different depending on who you're working for. Even within, yeah, you're right, like Square, even different business divisions of Square. Like Kingdom Hearts recording process is way different than Final Fantasy recording process, which is way different from Deus Ex recording process. Um, that uh, the, the basic change is that with anime, you're looking at the finished product. You're, you see what the finished product looks like. You can, um, come, you can do your performance to the lip flaps and make it work. Whereas with video games, you have usually have no idea what the finished product looks like. Um, and you're just kind of shooting in the dark, just hoping that, that it's the correct line in the correct place. For Final Fantasy um, 15, it was uh, Business Division 1, and they did an amazing job of really honing in on the English adaptation and making sure that we had all the tools we need. Because in previous Final Fantasy, they didn't always have that. They didn't know what the ending was going to be, or they didn't know certain... Um, uh, things within the, the world of the game, but we had the head writer Dan Inoue there for every single session um, And it was just uh, it was amazing to be able to work on something from beginning to end like that with all the information there It's usually not how it works in video games. Usually you just have a spreadsheet and you're just picking and choosing figuring out where lines play uh, hither and thither um, that uh, so yeah uh, Final Fantasy was was really interesting in that regard. You can add live at all? Or? Can't ad-lib when it's dubbed to Japanese, unfortunately. There was a f couple of instances where we were able to have creative reign. Um, like, uh, we had, so in Japanese, um, Taka asks not just to pick up beans, and it's some line like, oh, I don't like beans very much. Um, but it didn't work, we had 2.3 seconds, and we just could not figure out something that would work, and so I just said, what if he just says, beans, <laughs> and that was it, they, that ended up working. So it happens every once in a while we're able to be uh, creative like that, but because it has to be frame perfect to the Japanese, it can be, uh, be tough to improvise, yeah. So, so we're at MANYC, which is a celebration of Japanese culture. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, do you have a, a personal connection or relationship to J culture, like uh, the, the food, music, or entertainment? Um, and if so, like specifically, uh, you know. Absolutely. Uh, I visited Japan several times. Uh, I learned, I studied Japanese for a couple of years. Um, shout out to Slime Forest Adventure. It's a great learning tool. Um, uh, I've been playing Japanese video games since forever, and. Um, watching anime uh, on Toonami back in the day, and um, uh, yeah, it's been a, a big part of my life. In in uh, even in college, I took um, Japanese fiction film classes, so I read a lot of really good stuff. Uh, Natsume Sosuke and uh, Kobo Abe and guys like that. It's really um, I, I love the culture. I want to want to go there again. Yeah. Um, going back to the Square Enix projects. Um, can, um, People who have worked on Kingdom Hearts have mentioned that the clients spend a lot of time talking in between your takes. Yes. Was there any like advice or direction that particularly stood out to you, like playing Master of Masters <laughs> and how eccentric he can be? It's you just spend a lot of time in silence. They really don't let you in on what's going on behind the scenes on that one. You're just you're pretty much alone in that booth. Um, for Master of Masters, the only thing that made them consider things was there was a line. Mm, where he imitates a boss type character and they were really concerned they wanted to make sure that he was saying exactly the same joke in Japanese that he was in English because um, it was some poke at salaryman culture 
that wouldn't necessarily translate to English well. I don't remember what that line is off the top of my head. Um, but that was like two hours on that one line. And then we came back the next day to do it again. Wow. So yeah, uh, they, they're, they're very intense over there because it's Disney and Square. So a lot of people have a lot of thoughts, for sure. All right. Um, going back into the world of anime, uh, I wanted to ask about a personal favorite of mine, Anohana. Yeah, I love that show. Anohana is a very emotional journey, like about the past and how people change and grow up. Mm -hmm. uh, how did you personally see Yukiatsu's story as being like part of it, and did you have any methods of preparing for the role? Uh, so yeah, I watched the whole show beforehand, so it was a, I was able to see the underside, uh, undertones of, uh, of Yukiatsu's character. Um, I was definitely like Yukiatsu in high school. I was the overachiever type. Um, didn't do sports. But I did uh, all the uh, all the academic stuff, and I uh, was pretty haughty about it. I would say, um, so uh, yeah, I, I could relate to him in that respect for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you prepare? Uh, rather, how do you protect your voice? You know, for those screams and all those kind of things. I know over the years, repeatedly doing that, it's got to do some kind of damage. So, do you have any rituals to? Uh, yeah, I had my tonsils removed, which ended up being a really big thing. Um, that was, I didn't realize how much that was holding me back. But man, it's, it's really painful when you're an adult. I was out for a good 10 days. Um, I was just pain. I was rough. And then I ate a pineapple, which was really dumb. And then I found out that my dad also ate a pineapple and his tonsils were removed. So it runs in the family. Um, that was really bad pain. Um, uh, things to do to help. Try to find out if the session you're going for is vocally stressful and then try to schedule that on a Friday. That's like the, the only thing you can really do is, is if you start out on a Monday where your voice is shredded and then get through a whole week of sessions, it's going to do a lot. It's going to compound the damage. But if you do it on a Friday and then you have the weekend off, um, then that, that's one way of, of sort of isolating the, uh, the hard part. Have you yeah. ever lost your voice? Uh, All the time. Yeah. Oh, really? All the time. Yeah. It's just, it's, it, it is what the job is. Um, uh, and it's understandable. They need, for, for video games, they need a lot of different instances of, of dying and uh, getting on fire and stuff like that. It can be really rough. Yeah. So I'm a huge uh, One Punch Man fan. Awesome. And uh, you provide the voice for Free Free for mm -hmm. who actually turned out to be one of my favorite characters in a show that's already filled to the brim with over-the-top yes. and eccentric characters. Did you ever crack up during the recordings for his oh. voice, just knowing the kind of situations he would get in? Absolutely, yeah. No, I, I also watched One Punch Man before recording, uh, and I gave an audition for Puri before they even asked for auditions, and like, hey, if you ever end up dubbing the show, I want to do it. Um, and thankfully, they let me uh, play him later on. I still had to audition for him, um, but that was really, uh, was really fun. Um, uh, for situations that I'll crack you up. One thing, one interesting thing about recording him, because he's not in it too much, um, was how similar, even the Japanese, the same thing that Pori Pori is to Deep Sea King uh, vocally. And so it was me and Keith Silverstein, and they wanted to, I think they ended up having him change his voice a little bit because we sounded too similar. We're both big, manly guys with hearts on our chests. Uh, so it just, uh, that, yeah, they, we, we um, had to tread that line a little bit, yeah. Um, we were talking before about how hands-on and involved uh, Japanese clients can be as far as video games go. Has there ever been a similar point recording 
recording any anime in LA where the, the Japanese side wants something very specific or they want a particular delivery or line change. Evangelion was very, very full of Japanese influence. Like that one, they uh, Gainax sent notes every week. We recorded some lines 30, 40 times just to get it right. They were very particular about pronunciations and translations and subtext and stuff like that. Um, that was like, I've never seen anything like that. They weren't in the booth with us. Uh, Anaplex is the pretty much the only studio that actually has people in the booth with us. Uh, Hiroe and Sawako uh, come in and sit on sessions for, they did for Durarar, Blue Exorcist, or Sword Art Online. Um, they're always there to provide feedback. Anohana is not Netflix. I believe it is, actually. It's Netflix. I'm sorry, it was not, it was... It wasn't before. It wasn't before. Now it's Netflix. They weren't there. Patrick Seitz directed that one, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Hero and Sawako were not there. But yeah, most... And then anything else is pretty much hands-off for stuff like that. Uh, Studiopolis recordings like Boruto or Naruto, um, they're, uh, yeah, they're kind of a little more freer reign with, with what we do. Is there a, a different mindset you get into when you do maybe more of an Anohana, a deeper melodrama that is, it's intense, but not in the same way like something like a One Punch Man or um, a Fate series would be? Is, like, is there a separation in your mindset when you go into recording those two? Genre is the responsibility of the director to make sure that they can see the overall picture and see if all the, the parts work. And as we as actors, all we can do is follow the direction and, and try to bring at least what, what we know to the, the one character that we play. What was your first ever... Oh, thanks. See Thank ya. you. What was your first ever voice acting audition line for a major show? And were you nervous? Or? My first time... I didn't do shows first. I did a lot of video games. Um, and uh, for Final Fantasy XV, that was nuts for, to work on the demo. And I was super nervous. And uh, the, guy, the writer guy, Dan Inouye, was like, oh, I saw your YouTube channel. And I had this YouTube channel of like 100 dumb videos. And he was like, uh, it, was, it was very interesting to go see your, your history. And I was like, shit. And I deleted <laughs> all of that that night. Uh, they're, they're gone. They're, they're, they're somewhere in some vault locked up. Uh, but yeah, so I was very scared about losing the part. And then I did lose the part. Uh, and after the demo came out, uh, the feedback was that he sounded too much like Gladio, and I had to re-audition for the role of Noctis, and, and thankfully got it. Um, you don't always get those opportunities to re-audition for roles. But most of the time, game comes out and you just find out that you've been recast, your part's been cut, but uh, Keith Farley uh, went to bat for me, and for that I'm forever grateful. Throughout your time in the industry, you know, the prevalence of uh, social has only gotten larger um, in the internet at large. And so I was kind of wondering, um, there's, a, there's a more connectedness with your fans at events like this, like cons, but also like internet, like Twitter, like we see your tweet memes and jokes all the time. Yeah. Really funny. Um, but how, how's that, um, I assume it's positive, but how's that kind of affected your relationship with your um, audience and your fans and stuff like that? How has it affected my relationship? I guess it, it, it is the relationship with my fans, right? Um, otherwise, I wouldn't know. Their thoughts, I guess. Um, I don't know. What? Um, I guess the follow-up would be. Um, yeah, you know what? Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I deleted Instagram off my phone today. I think I'm gonna delete my account. I'm just tired of it. I'm so tired of it. I never understood Instagram, but I Twitter I really like because you can write a joke. But Instagram, I just don't get how you'd be funny on Instagram. I guess you do videos and stuff, okay. which I've done a couple, but uh, that one's really tough. Um, and then TikTok never was anything, right? It yeah. seems like it's over. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably going to die soon. Yeah, yeah. Does fan criticism impact you creatively, like when you go in the studio? Like if you read some fan saying like, oh, you did a terrible job, does that affect you? or you know? uh, uh, No, no, I did a great job. <laughs> um, that's fair. Yeah, that's great. Um, I remember Sean from Dragon Ball was telling me even if he gets praised, he doesn't care. He just, if he thinks something's bad, he just thinks... Yeah, uh, I like it when people praise me. Like that, that never gets old. Um, but I guess usually when people are angry about something, it's usually because they don't know as much about the property, or they have a very fixed view of the property. Especially our adaptation guy is gone, but a lot of times with with adaptations, they get angry and why did you change that? And it's like I didn't, I didn't do that. So that's normally what they're what they're angry about. Yeah. In terms of fan engagement, obviously uh, you, Max, and and Robbie have lava. Yes, and you guys stream, and I've watched some clips of awesome. you guys like playing Persona Five and awesome. the subway. Um, yes, do you enjoy like the energy when you do your guys' live shows for that? Just oh my how god, yeah. Do you guys were you there last night? Uh, Unfortunately not. not. Why are we there? <laughs> I'm seeing. You Please remove yourself from this room. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> uh, live show is really really fun. That's the re the reason that we started Lava was because of the live show to have something to do at cons other than a Q and A panel. Um, so we it's really it's really fun to have an extracurricular activity as it were uh, at these cons. So that's why uh, that's why we started. And then Twitch was just an accident. We just happened to be with Adam Crosdale, Voice of Ignis, that one night, and we said, let's turn on the PS4's native streaming service. And we got him to see Ignis saying, I've come up with a new recipe. <laughs> so that was, uh, and then from then, we just, uh, we've been uh, doing it every week. Now I've been doing solo streams, too. Does he cook naturally? Does Adam cook? Yes. Don't know if Adam cooks. He's a vegetarian. I think he does. He mm. must prepare his own food, yeah. Okay. Uh, for me, just want to give a comic nod to the conversation. Yes. Uh, you voiced Etrigan slash Jason Blood for yes. Justice League Dark. I'm a huge fan of uh, DC Comics and Marvel, and Matt Ryan might be my favorite uh, portrayal of Constantine ever. Uh, what was it like doing the voice for a movie? For a, for a comic book movie. For a, yeah, I, uh, that was crazy. My uncle was a colorist for DC back in the day on Steel. He colored Steel. Um, and... Uh, that was uh, pretty cool to bring uh, to to work with with uh, uh, Warner Brothers directly in DC. It was a uh, and it was nice of them to let me play both roles because they didn't have to. There's no reason to hire the same actor to play both. And they said, uh, No, we know you can do it. Um, and uh, that was uh, that was my first animated session of any time. So uh, that was really cool. And the movie turned out great. Oh yeah! Did you yeah. get to meet Matt by chance? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. at the premiere, he was really nice. <laughs> you mentioned before being, uh, you know, cut from a project. Has that ever happened to you for something that you went all the way through, spent hours, mm -hmm. days, months, and absolutely? Which title? Uh, for Fallout 4, I was a big character, and uh, I was my uh, character was removed from the game, uh, and that was that was sad. So I'm a big, big Fallout fan. Uh, but hey, I got to be in Fallout 76, so it's all good. Um, it was, uh, yeah, very. It's it's sad, uh, but it was nice. They still credited me in it, which they didn't have to do. Um, 
uh, there have been a few other instances, not not as notable as that. Um, but it, at the at the Fallout cast party, I actually talked with Matt uh, Matt King and Matt Mercer, who both were in a conversation, and they said they told me their stories being recast. Matt King was Matt Yang King was uh, uh, the villain in Far Cry Four, and then uh, was just recast. And uh, so for him, that was. That was crushing, but then you realize all the other successes that he's had um, happens. It's it's kind of a goes around comes around sort of thing. Still got paid though, right? Still got paid, yeah. Mm -hmm. And because uh, we started a conversation about being the best anime mom, what was it like <laughs> to play your own dad and be the beginning? You played your own character and you also played his father. I feel like I've also done that a couple other times too. Um, when have I also played my own dad? Uh, Heath Flick and Keith Flick, the most awkward names of all time. Uh, that was really fun. Be the beginning was uh, I really enjoyed it. That one, the client was in the booth for for every session, um, and uh, and Monkey, she was very very knowledgeable, but she wouldn't give us all that knowledge. Because she wanted to keep everything a mystery. Um, uh, so it was fun. Yeah, it was really fun. Actually, on that matter, how how interesting is it knowing that like because. You get a lot of like younger sounding people sometimes, but I've also noticed you get cast at least in anime as a lot of older older men. Yeah, like yeah. older dudes, like fifties, gruffer, wiser in their age. How interesting is that to feel like that is a in demand skill that is like, oh, I'm like twenty, thirty something, and people want me characters in fifties, sixties. It's cool. It really helps you get cast um, because uh, usually there's only one lead who's always young and so then but then there's a lot more jobs of the people who he's fighting or his father figure things like that so uh, I ended up being in a lot of shows that I otherwise would not have been in because of that yeah all right I'll wrap it up so as a personal preference do you like to play more heroic characters or more sinister characters which one just really gets you going in the role um, sinister definitely usually more likely to have an accent which is fun um, uh, but you don't usually don't see their journey it's the hero who changes along the journey, so it's it's different, uh, two different things. Um, so it uh, it depends on the day. Is Noctis your favorite character ever? Drew? For yeah. sure, Noctis and Roy also means a lot too because I, I played him when I was a kid. It's a, it's a big deal to to be someone who you've always wanted to be. Yeah, thank you, awesome. you guys. Thank Actually, you so much. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.